0: Flip your that. It, it's trying. There it is. It's, oh, thank you. Yes, I got to get that on too. Thank you. All right, we're going to get started. We're live, but I forgot to plug something in. So there we go. Yeah, thank you, Burke. All right, let's see here. we got this, and we're going to go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. you got to go the other way if you're in Isaiah there, Charlie. Psalm 119, verse 65 says, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to meet here today. We thank you that we can meet in uh, freedom in this nation, even though it's a limited freedom at this point in time. And uh, so we just are very pleased to uh, be in your presence. And we have some prayer requests coming up in a minute. We would ask you to respond to them according to your great wisdom and also some salvation requests of people that uh, still need to call on Jesus, and the time seems to be running short, both in many lives and in the state of the world that we're living in right now. So, Lord, we ask that you respond according to your wisdom and uh, set up the divine appointments that may change hearts for these people and uh, uh, bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we just thank you for this precious word you've given us, and thank you for those that are here today and uh, We just pray that uh, it'll be a good class and that the people online or that see this later will be built up by it. We pray these things that you will be glorified and we do so in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. All right, let's see here. Uh, We have, uh, yes, prayer request list for salvation people. And I won't go through all the names, but uh, we want to remember these people and uh, uh, they're people that... uh, They uh, sent in names that are on their hearts of family members or friends that need Jesus. And so we have that list there. And then we also have some, as I said, a couple prayer requests. We have James Visker. He has great pain in his foot. He's had some other problems, and he's feeling better about those, and he's able to walk a bit. But his foot is just really uh, giving him grief, and he's asking for relief and to be able to walk well. And then Graham over in Scotland has just been having serious health issues. He's just had some really trials lately and uh, uh, he's on some extra medications which are causing him to uh, not be able to respond even in his own mind at times. He's got some family trials and then he has his granddaughter Amy is showing possible signs of the virus and they're concerned about that. That was as of yesterday. Then we have Isaac in Uganda has asked for prayers for the care of his disabled father because uh, he's got to take care of him and that's one more burden on Isaac's life. A very busy guy in the first place tending to all of the people in his community, and uh, he's got his father to take care of, too. And then Lisa, our sister in Australia, emailed me, and we prayed for her last week. She's had some throat troubles, and they've not gone away, and she's got other troubles compounding it now, and she's not getting a lot of sleep, and it's difficult on her. And then we have Siri, who I mentioned a week or two ago. He is uh, just starting to get ready for chemo and uh, beginning the radiation treatments. He's been getting some uh, Uh, briefings on that, I believe it was today, and he's a Marine, and so he says he's going to fight through this like a Marine. He says, oorah, and uh, then Tony, my friend in Washington, who I went to school with, is still fighting cancer, and uh, so we'll bring him up right now as well. He came to mind, and then just something that broke my heart personally is um, her sister in Alabama, Rebecca, her son died a day ago, and uh, so she's in deep mourning right now he was not an old person he was in his i believe 20s or maybe early 30s and so this is really difficult on her and the family and so we want to keep them all in prayer and uh so uh, we have that and it's just a tough world and then of course everybody here is affected in one way or another with what's going on i mean we've got people that are have lost all of their businesses. We've got people that are, uh, you know, staying at home. And obviously when you're staying at home, your tension rates go up with people if you're with them all the time and uh, you're getting used to a new mode of life. And so there's a lot of trouble and there's a lot of stress. And I try at the end of every email lately to just say the simple words, be anxious for nothing because it's not gonna do you any good. It's gonna do you zero good at all to be anxious or to worry about things and it's stressful. I understand that. You can't do anything about the stress. You can't do anything about the, uh, the financial troubles, but anxiety just adds to it, and if you can just say, you know, Lord, you're in control. You knew this was going to happen, and I am your servant, and even if something does happen, I have a better hope. As long as you have that hope in Christ, then everything else should be secondary to that, and uh, personally, I don't think there should be any worries at all about the virus. I mean, it's exact same thing as the flu you're either going to get it or you're not going to get it the nation has taken a a very sad turn in what they're doing and it's gotten even worse in florida because just what was it yesterday the or uh, yeah yesterday the governor signed a lockdown order so nobody can meet anywhere you can't go outside and do anything And uh, it's a completely blown out of uh, proportion scenario, but that's his decision. He's a politician and he wants to get reelected and the left ate him alive until the point where he finally caved. And so uh, as disappointed as I am in the decisions that are being made by these people, they've made them and we have to live with them. So uh, in uh, Sarasota or in Florida, we are limited to a group of no more than 10 people. So if you are, you know, in Sarasota and you plan on coming on Sundays to the uh, church or even Thursday on the Bible study, you're welcome to come. But I would ask that you would let me know in advance if you're coming. And that way I can plan how many people are coming and let you know, you know, we're full already or not. I would appreciate that um, just simply for the sake of being able to continue this without anybody getting down on us. Last week we had ten people and uh, two of them won't be here this week So we're down to eight people anyway unless somebody else comes in so whatever. It's not like we have a giant congregation that we fight about but yes Uh,
1: the Apologist Ravi Zacharias. Yeah from India. He's got cancer started we'll be
0: Robbie Zacharias has got cancer. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, we'll have prayers for him as well. He, uh, I like him. He's very good at apologetics. He was an adjunct professor at the Southern Evangelical Seminary where I went. He did make a, a giant mistake one time, and I stopped listening to him after that. I don't know if I should even say, because maybe he's repented of that one, but he endorsed Joyce Myers. And I thought, that's not a very intelligent move to make in my opinion. But he did. He he endorsed her and after that I kinda of lost my uh uh desire to listen to anything he said. But whatever, you know, he, he's he's very intelligent. He's a very good apologist and he is a Christian, so we'll go ahead and remember him in prayer as well. Yeah,
1: he's on college campuses all over. Oh, all
0: over the place. That's right. Yeah. That, what's that? He's great. He is, he's a very good speaker, but you know, once somebody does something like that, uh you know, somebody sent me a link today to uh Uh, something that uh, some of the prophecy people that, you know, we got four or five big prophecy names out there that put out something every Sunday and uh, one of them sent me something. And I said, I, I can't watch that. and There's a reason why. And it deals with exactly that same issue. I won't get into it because you know, we're, we're trying not to have any enmity between us, but uh, uh, you know, just if you're going to accept this book as it's written, you need to live by this book as it's written. And when you don't do that, it brings a stain on you. I don't care how famous you are. I don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me. It's irrelevant. The numbers don't matter. And uh, if people are looking at their numbers every week, there's a problem with that. I try to never look at the numbers on updates or sermons or anything like that, because uh, that's not where the focus should be. It should be simply on this word. And if you're going to increase your numbers by doing something that is against this word, that's a problem. So there you go with that. Anyway, um Second
1: Corinthians right before Galatians.
0: Yeah, 2nd Corinthians. He, Burke, is, Burke is like he brings up a subject and then he tells me to get into the uh, the study. So all right, 2 Corinthians, we're in chapter 10 and we're in verse 16. Let's see. And that's what I was doing. While I was talking, I was trying to think of where I'm supposed to be turning. So maybe you picked up on that. Okay, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 16, it says, we'll start in 14. Therefore, my beloved flee from, I'm in 1 Corinthians. We got to get into 2 Corinthians. I do that every week. Uh, 10, 16. Let's see here. Can we start at 16? Yes. 10, 10, 16. We'll go back to uh, 14. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure that is in other men's labors but having hope that as your faith is increased we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere verse 16 to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment okay 10:16 the words to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you are given in connection to the words of the previous verse which i just read which says as your faith is increased we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. It is likely that Paul is saying that as the Corinthians grow in their faith, his ministry will benefit as it stretches out into other areas. There are a couple of possibilities concerning what he means. The first is that Paul will be less burdened in dealing with Corinth as they assume a greater role in the conduct of their own church. Or it may be that Paul is hoping they will assist him in that ministry through prayer or some other means. These conditions, though, are based on their increased faith, something Paul is working on in his letter of instruction. Even though he wasn't present with them, his words would be valuable to them for right doctrine. And surely this is the case because even to this day, those same words are being read by churches all around the world as a part of the Holy Bible. In Paul's preaching of the gospel in the regions beyond Corinth, he would be able to start new mission fields and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. This is actually a continued response to the charge that he previously addressed. Verses 13 and 14 seem to imply that he was accused of overextending his sphere of influence. We did that last week, which he refuted. In this verse, he goes beyond that, and he shows that where he intends to go is certainly not in anyone else's sphere of accomplishment. (laughs) Now, if you think about where Paul is, he's been all over- I mean, all over the Mideast and all over the Mediterranean area, and to think that you would be encroaching on someone else's area at such an early time in the church is almost incredible. I mean, you can go to places now where nobody's preached to people, you know what I'm saying? It just seems hard that there would be that much out there, but Paul was very careful to not go encroaching if it was at all possible, and uh, it just it's a hard thing for me to get my mind around that the amount of evangelism that these apostles did as they went out. Because if he's saying this, then that means that there could be other people that had gone out as well and that he would be encroaching on them, whatever. Um, <clears throat> where he intended to travel is not totally certain. But it is likely that he is mentally referring to his comments in Romans 15, 19 through 24. There he specifically mentions his desire to go first to Rome and then to Spain. Let me take you there really quickly. In Romans 15, verse 19 says, uh, uh, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see And those who have not under not heard shall understand for this reason i also have been much hindered in coming to you but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you whenever i journey to spain i shall come to you for i hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you If first I may enjoy your company for a while, so that's he's referring to that. That's probably what he's talking about here. But uh, one way or another, Paul, if you just follow his travels, which we did in the book of Acts, that guy was everywhere, and he did most of it on foot or by sailing from one place to another, and then getting off the boat and walking to people. It's an amazing amount of uh, journeying and and effort that that man put into the gospel. If only we would be the same way, we would be in really good shape in this world. Uh, life application. It is so easy to take credit for things which we did not accomplish. Politicians are often caught lying about their past, claiming deeds they did not do, or medals they did not win. Pastors have been caught up in such things as well. Any of us can fall prey to this temptation, so let us always stand guard against it. Even if we haven't done great things, we are still accepted by God because of Christ. If God has accepted us, then why should we worry about what mere men think of us? Who cares? The Lord has accepted me. It's good enough for me. I don't need to be, uh, you know, whatever. You know, I guess I was a Navy SEAL and back when I was uh, uh, filming a movie with uh, Sylvester Stallone and all those things. That's all my past, though. So I won't won't brag about that too much. But, uh, yeah, okay, 1017, here we go. Oh, one more thing about Sunday. Um, I, I said that if you're going to come to church on Sunday, just let me know in advance if you're watching right now, that's fine. And we'll, we'll fit everybody in. But, um, one thing, a lawyer emailed me and one of the things he recommended we do not do, and this is going to break hearts of people that do come here is that he says, you shouldn't have any mutually shared food. He said that that could be a problem later. And, uh, so it's one thing we always have food in the back. I've got piles and piles of food every Sunday for people to eat. And he said, don't do that. He's been here. He attended here. He knows what we do. And he said, it's just better for this time. So my recommendation is if you plan on coming to the church on Sunday, just bring whatever you want to eat and sit in the pews and eat it. I don't care if you bring popcorn and throw it at me. Just that'll be best. You brought your own food. And that way I don't have to get into some legal problem later that he addressed there. So that comes to mind. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt the the class over food, but there you go. Verse 17. What a wonderful verse. But he who glories let him glory in the Lord. As the chapter prepares to close, Paul gives this verse. It is a citation which he draws from Jeremiah chapter 9. Let me take you there really quickly. And uh, just marvelous words coming from the uh, the uh, pen of Paul. Anyway, Jeremiah chapter 9. I went too far there, Charlie. And 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 23, and 24 is where it's at. And it says there, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Well, If you think about those categories that he just said, the wise man in his wisdom, where does wisdom come from? It comes from the Lord. You were created by God, and whatever wisdom you have came from Him. Wisdom is actually the application of knowledge, a right application of knowledge. And your knowledge came from somewhere. And then we know that wisdom comes from the Lord because somebody was asked what He wanted. Of anything in all of the world, what do you want? I will give it to you. Solomon, right? And He said, you know, what I need is wisdom. I don't need to be rich and I don't need to have long life and all these. Things. I just need wisdom to guide these people. They're too numerous for me and I'm just a young dude here. That's Charlie Garrett paraphrase. Anyway, um, uh, so he, uh, the Lord said, I'm going to give you that wisdom. You're going to be wiser than any man that ever lived or ever will live. And he says, and I'll give you all those other things too so that there will never be anyone that was like you. Um, So wisdom comes from the Lord. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Once he was this giant guy, he was a hulk and all the girls were after him and the movie stars wanted to be like him and now he's old and he's if you seen pictures of him, he's just he's just worn out, you know? So there you go. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. I don't care how much money you have. There's that one billionaire lady that was uh uh Hewlett Packard was she one of these, she's a billionaire, young billionaire lady. You no, know, she didn't have anything at all. She didn't have anything. So, you know, I mean you can lose everything in a day in this life. So whatever you have, it came from the Lord. Just give the Lord the glory for what you do have and in that he will delight. And that's what Paul is now citing here, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. It is to be in Christ alone where our boasting should lie. Whatever our accomplishments, they were possible only because of the Lord's hand upon us. And that is whether we acknowledge it or not. There are people out there that are very wealthy and they've never acknowledged the Lord once in their lives. But the Lord set them up in the position they are in, and they will be more accountable for the things that they didn't do properly. Therefore, no man should receive our boastings, including us as individuals. One, churches shouldn't be divided based on allegiances to individual men, as I am of Paul, or I am of Cephas, and so on. Two, our intellectual attainments or knowledge of the Bible shouldn't be credited to either self or to another, such as A great teacher, or I follow Aristotle, or I follow John Calvin, or I follow Albert Einstein, or I follow Billy Graham. Okay, that's not where we should put our allegiances. There should be three no desire to emulate the mighty despite the power that they possess. Might, you know, we've had, uh, who was it? Muammar Gaddafi. He was a mighty man. He was in charge of an entire nation, and then he ended up dead and dragged through the streets. And that's happened to how many other leaders? What was that guy in Italy? uh, Mussolini, Mussolini, thank you, Benito Mussolini, he, yeah, he's hanging upside down with his wife next to him and people spitting on him as they walk by, right, Adolf Hitler killed himself, I mean, the might of the people of the world doesn't matter, it's very temporary, it's very passing, and then you're off to meet your maker, four, our goal shouldn't be to seek after a wealthy person, a politician, or a movie star, and this is something that I'm sure I am even guilty of. If I met, you know, my neighbor uh, was a, a security guard for the governor of, what's the state, Wisconsin or Minnesota. Anyway, whichever one, Jesse Ventura was the governor there. And he says, oh, yeah, I'll come by the house And what was that? Minnesota. Minnesota. He says, he'll be down and you can meet him. And I thought, oh, I'd like to get my picture with him. And that's the exact same thing. Who cares? He's just a guy, you know? So I, we can get so quickly drawn into fame that, Just because we were with somebody, it somehow elevates us in status. When it doesn't, it doesn't make us any better at all, and it might make us a little dirtier, depending on who the famous person is. So, whatever. But we're all susceptible to it. We just have to stand back and say, I'm not going to allow myself to be caught up in that. (laughs) Rather than these things, or any other such division in our allegiance concerning our worldly abilities, or spiritual life in Christ, we should direct our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our attention to what God has done in Him through us or to us. In all ways and at all times, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Christ is the head of the church. Christ demonstrates and reveals to us the wisdom of God. In Christ are found the otherwise unsearchable riches of knowledge and understanding, both in creation and in Scripture. From Christ is all power and strength, Strength, and in Christ all the greatness and majesty of the Godhead is revealed to us. Surely then let us boast and glory in him alone. <laughs> I should not have drank that cold water before we started, Burke. You should have reminded me not to do that. I'm just, I'm falling all over myself right now. And as a final point, the citation from Jeremiah is speaking of the Lord, or Jehovah. However, Paul uses the citation and applies it to who? To Jesus, right? Jeremiah is saying that let us boast in Jehovah. And Paul says let us boast in Jesus. The implication is clear. Jehovah of the Old Testament is Jesus of the New. Let us never attempt to diminish the glory of who Christ is. He is our God. And that you read the book of Hebrews through, and if you carefully look at it, the citations of the Old Testament... That are right there cited right out of the old testament and ascribing something to jehovah of the old testament and in the book of hebrews they cite it directly unambiguously to jesus there's no doubt if people would just simply pick up the book and read it and think it through we would never have the heresies of people like mormonism and jehovah's witnesses and people that deny the deity of jesus christ or come to faulty conclusions on his nature or who he is Scripture is very clear. The problem is not with Scripture, ever. The problem is not with Scripture. The problem is with us not wanting to read Scripture, not wanting to think on Scripture, not wanting to contemplate Scripture, to talk to the Lord about, Lord, I don't understand what I just read. I need your help with it. And I assure you, if you really say that in your heart and you really mean it, not just, oh, I want to know what this mystery is that I can bragged to everybody else about like the date of the rapture or something something goofy like that i'm talking about wanting seeking after and hungering to know his word and thirsting after an answer to a problem that you have in his word and you ask him do you think he's going to deny it to you he's not i guarantee you that he will get you that you'll turn on a sermon and it'll be there the answer that you wanted or you'll uh pick up a book at an old bookstore if you stop in there you know to get a book and For some reason, somebody will have a piece of paper shoved into it that has an answer to the exact same thing that you would ask the Lord about. He will answer his word to you if you are truly willing to seek it out. And I'm not talking about, oh, you know, I want to know the answer to this, and it's a passing thing, and you're not reading his word and studying his word. You're going to have to want to study his word. You're going to want to have to understand his word and to seek after his word. And when you're doing that and he sees that your heart is open to his word, he will reveal it to you. He may get it to you one way or he may get it to you another, but he will get that answer to you. I guarantee it. My mom knows that. When I was first reading the Bible, I read it through again and again and again and again. And I'd come to a passage and I'd say, I just don't understand this. Lord, what are you telling us? And the next day, Adrian Rogers would have a sermon on exactly the passage that I asked about. And I'd call mom and I'd say, I can't believe this is the 822nd time this has happened this week. And she'd say, isn't it wonderful? I mean, it was just, he will... He will reveal his word to you. Absolutely. Sounds almost like today's First
1: John devotion that you put out.
0: First John devotion. What did I? I don't even remember what he put out.
1: You about the Mormons and the.
0: Oh yeah, well, that's probably why I said that they're fresh on my mind. Yeah, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. See, the problem is when you say First John, I've posted one, but I've also got another one ready for tomorrow to post. After I post that one, I move that into this denying
1: the son and the father.
0: Denying the son and the father. But you know what? After that, I still type another commentary, which is 10 days out. And so I've got three devotionals that I've read in one morning. and I don't remember which one I did and which one is. And then what happens often is my friend Mike, he will email me and we'll talk about it one way or another. He'll say, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And it may be on tomorrow's because he's my proofreader for all of them. Or it may be on today's, which I'm posting. And so I'm, I'm always confused about what I'm posting. Because there's just too much going on for this really small-sized brain here. So uh, uh, anyway, life application. Be sure never to trade your allegiances for something less than what is the greatest of all. Jesus Christ is the epitome of perfection. In him is all that is good and wonderful, and so let him alone be your hope, your desire, your aspiration, your passion, your love jesus christ above all else let him be your heart and your soul and then from there study his word to pursue him you know quite often i did it today i was typing something uh, a response to somebody on facebook uh, and i said the word and then i said and the lord and i kind of changed my wording i said the word and the lord who is revealed in the word because i don't even want to put the word the bible above the lord the lord is the source and the word is His spoken word which is a reflection of who he is. But sometimes you can get so theologically messed up in your head that you say something you shouldn't. Jesus Christ is our all in all. He is the fullness of the Godhead presented to us bodily for us to understand the love of God to the people of the world. Anyway, uh, 1018, it says here, I think this is the last verse in the chapter. Yes, last verse in the chapter. Uh, 1018, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Okay, this chapter closes out with words that are alluded to throughout his writings and even throughout the Bible itself. He just said, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The reason for this is that it is not he who condemns himself, commends himself. It is not he who commends himself who is approved. One can glory in himself all day long and it doesn't mean that the Lord has accepted him. I'm sure that Bill Gates is very smug and he, feels how great he is because he's got lots of money and he's developed a computer system and he makes billions of dollars every single minute as people buy his stuff. And so he's out trying to control the whole world through all kinds of, I would call them wicked devices lately. All right. And it doesn't matter. It makes zero difference in the world, how much money he has, how much authority he wields or how much devious stuff he starts developing to control this world. It makes no difference at all. If he is not approved of the Lord, he is not approved of the Lord, and if he doesn't come to Christ before he dies, he's going to get chucked into the same pit that all of the other people of the ages is going to go to. All that money means nothing without Jesus Christ, without him being in you, dwelling in you, his spirit sealing you. One can glory in himself all day long, and it doesn't matter that the Lord has accepted him. In fact, it could be a good indication that he hasn't. Rather, Paul says that it is whom the Lord commends. In 1 Corinthians, Paul gave an explicit example of this, showing that it is the Lord who will judge our works. It's funny that this came up because just this morning, my friend over in Israel, I won't give his name away, but he uh, asked me something about a particular uh, issue and I said, Oh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he says, Oh, he did one of these face palm things, the little icon, because this, he said, That's what I read this morning. So I know what happened with him. He read it, and like I do with my devotionals, you put it kind of mentally aside, and then you think, I know I heard that somewhere. Where was that? And it was in exactly what he was reading. So here we go uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire." All right. That is the judgment seat of Christ. It's also mentioned coming up in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, yes, 2 Corinth. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, let me go back there. Verse 12, I think is what it was. Yeah. Hang on. What's that? 10. Okay, 10 through 12 then. Okay, I, it's right in there. 2 Corinthians 5. Let me go there just so we have it. Um, 2 Corinthians, yes, 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing the terror, therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. And then, so you're right, 10, not 12. Okay, I get these things stuck in my, look at Miss Garrett's here. How are you? Good, good to see you. Welcome, come on in. Have you got dinner ready when we get home? My mom laughs. Yeah, okay, let's see here. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm hoping, all right? The reason why I said that, I'm hoping. It's her choice what she serves. But last night, she was cooking some hamburger meat, and usually that means tacos are coming. And if that's the case, if today is taco day, it is my happiest day of the month. She makes the best tacos on this planet. I'm not kidding. What? Best day of your life. A best day of my life, I'm telling you what. So, yeah, anyway, um Uh, We'll hope that that's the case, but no pressure on her. If she didn't do that, if she's saving it for another day, that's fine. I won't be angry in any way, shape, or form. Okay, so we just read 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. Likewise, in 2 Corinthians 3, he shows that commending oneself is pointless. One's works, as attested to by the Spirit, are what makes a person's commendation knowable. As Christ is the judge of such things, whether they are truly Spirit-led or not, self commendation is excluded we'll take you there really quickly just so you know what i'm talking about 2 corinthians chapter 3 and then we're in verses 1 through 3 do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you you are our epistle written in our hearts known and read by men clearly you are an epistle of christ ministered by us written not with ink but by the spirit of the living god not on tablets of stone But on tablets of flesh that is of the heart okay so life application in the proverbs let me take you there proverbs 27 verse 2 it says 23 24 25 26 27 verse 2 it says let another man praise you and not your own mouth a stranger and not your own lips We are given that wise counsel concerning self-praise. Instead of praising ourselves, let us walk in humility. And should we look for praise, let it be from the Lord. It is from him and him alone that it truly matters. All right, so we're in chapter 11, verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed, you do bear with me. Charles Ellicott's commentary on this verse is very insightful. He notes that there are two catchwords, as it were, which characterize the section of the epistle on which we are now entering. One is of bearing with, or tolerating, which occurs five times, and folly, which is with its kindred fool, repeated not less than eight times. It is impossible to resist the inference that here also we have the echo of something which Titus had reported to him as said by his opponents at Corinth. Their words, we must believe, had taken some such form as this. We really can bear with him no longer. His folly is becoming altogether intolerable. Okay, that's Charles Ellicott's commentary to get us into this section. This makes great sense because Paul seems to have been under great duress concerning his relationship with the Corinthians. By using their own words back at them... He places the responsibility for their belligerence back on them where it belongs. But by doing it this way, he cannot be accused of speaking inappropriately towards them as he is using their own words. So he's a master of literature. He's just wonderful at how he can weave things together and develop these things. But whether this analysis is correct or not, it does sum up the content of this verse very well. Paul is asking for them to bear with him in a little folly as he writes, knowing that there is already a sort of wall between them which necessitated his words, which are now coming. Life application, human interaction, either verbally or in writing, is a learned skill. Refining this skill so that one can anticipate the words of another and then using their words to redefine the interaction is a brilliant way of maintaining the upper hand while keeping harmony Within the conversation, it is most difficult to argue against one's own words without looking like the belligerent in the conversation. And you see that master politicians will do that all the time. They will take something and they will say the words that the person just said, and they will weave them together in such a way that the person is absolutely trapped. Because if he says, well, that's not right, you're, what you're saying is you know, bad, it's going to reflect on them directly because they're the ones that said it. And it's especially bad if they forgot that they said those words, and the person uses it, and then he pulls out a little piece of paper and says, well, on 10 March of uh, 1927, you said this particular thing, and he's like, oh, oh, you know, you got to be careful how you do that, but it's a good way of doing it. Okay, let's see here, um, 11.2, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The little folly that Paul spoke of in the preceding verse begins to be revealed here. He tells his beloved church at Corinth that he is jealous for you with godly jealousy. The word jealous is zelo. It is derived from the word zeo, which means to boil or to be fervent. The action comes from the sound. When water boils, it makes the sound zelo 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 Likewise, the boiling water is fervent, it's bubbling, it's boiling. This then corresponds to the emotion, and the exact same thing is used in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament. There's, uh, back in the passage of Jacob, I believe it is, the word in Hebrew does the same thing. It sounds like the boiling of water, and therefore it's used in the same type of way. Can't remember the word offhand, though. In this case, it is a positive fervency, which he feels, even to the point that he stresses it with the words theo- zelo, or literally, with a jealousy of God. He's making a, what what is it, a a alliteration or a a repetition by saying a word that sounds twice the same. So, a jealousy of God, theo zelo. There was nothing earthly and sensual in his jealousy. Rather, it was a heavenly, spiritual feeling which surpassed any earthly state. And he says his zeal is because I have betrothed you to one husband, okay, if that is the case, if we are betrothed to a husband, then we are the bride of Christ. Okay, the word for betrothed is found only here in the New Testament. It is harmotso. Harmotso. That's an omicron. I'm sorry. You got an omicron and an omega. And if you get them wrong, it goes ah or o. Like a lot of people say the word logos. They pronounce it logos. It's not logos. It's lagos. Those are omicrons there. Anyway, this word here is harmotso. It gives the idea of betrothing a daughter to another. The word, though not found elsewhere in the New Testament, is found in Greek literature when speaking of the carpenter's work of joining boards together. It is also used in a musical sense, such as arranging music, tuning instruments, and even fitting clothes or armor together. There is a harmony being brought together, one thing to another. In this case, it is to be as a bride to her bridegroom. Paul looked at himself as a father in their faith. We saw that, I think, last week, or anyway, recently, having told them about Christ Jesus and having been there when they received him. He is calling to remembrance his words of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where he says this in verse 15. 1 Corinthians 4, 11, 5, 4, 15. He says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. It is he who will present his daughter in the faith to Christ. But more than just giving away a daughter, he desires her to be one who is pure and undefiled. His words show us this. He wanted their lives to be holy and their doctrine to be pure. As he says, so that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Albert Barnes, citing another scholar, explains the concept here. The allusion here, according to Dodderidge, this is Albert Barnes, is to the custom among the Greeks of having an officer whose business it was to educate and form young women, especially those of rank and figure designed for marriage, and then to present them to those who were to be their husbands. And if this officer, through negligence, permitted them to be corrupted between the espousals and the consummation of the marriage, great blame would fall upon him. So Paul is using this metaphor on himself. Such a responsibility Paul felt. So anxious was he for the entire purity of that church, which was to constitute the bride, the Lamb's wife, so anxious that all who were connected with that church should be presented pure in heaven. Good job, Albert Barnes, speaking about the words of Dauteridge. Paul felt the burden of ensuring that those in Corinth were properly trained in doctrine and that they would carry through with that training so that their lives would be dedicated to Christ and not to the things of the world. He uses similar terminology towards those in Ephesus as well. So I'll take you there to the Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Where are we, 25? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. he might present her himself a glorious church not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish okay last week i talked about people saying that the body of christ can't be the church and this and that and another thing that people will say uh, somebody very nicely sent me all kinds of verses on that particular subject but um uh, another thing that people say is that the term the bride of christ is never used in scripture it doesn't matter if the words bride of christ are used or not it is implied many times by Paul. He is giving us as a chaste virgin to Christ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So people get stuck on things or they read something and they get an analysis and they just go with it without ever coming to the understanding of what Paul is saying. Just because something isn't explicitly stated like the Trinity or the rapture, it doesn't mean that it's not described there. The Trinity is described very carefully and meticulously in scripture. The rapture is too. Even if the word harpazo is used and not rapture, rapture is described very well in in the the Bible. One thing that uh, I was thinking about today, and it has to do with what I was just talking about there, uh, Corinth were properly trained in doctrine, okay? There are all kinds of people posting all over social media lately about people turning to the Lord, to praying to him in this time of crisis or wanting to seek out streaming churches online in this time of crisis or that are starting to read their Bible in this time of crisis. And I think that is wonderful. I'm so glad that's happening. Okay, great. But it is no different than what happened after 9-11. Okay, after 9-11, I was at this church down the road. I'm embarrassed to even say what kind of a church it was, but I was in there, you know, a young Christian at the time. And um, uh, the church The week after 9-11 swelled from like 200 people up to 600 people. And it stayed that way for two or maybe three weeks. And then it went right back down to where it was before. And there's a problem with that is that the pastor didn't preach anything that was worthy of remembering. And he didn't preach the gospel and he didn't get people into doctrine. Okay. It doesn't matter if these people are getting into the Bible or not if they don't follow through with it. Okay. You have to say, I'm in a patch right now. I need Jesus and I'm going to stick with this after this patch is done. And I would pray that that would be the case. If somebody is turning on this uh, study today or if they listen later and they say, you know, I, I just want to find out about the word of God, I would hope that you would stick with it. Okay, because nobody remembers everything that they have ever heard and nobody can remember doctrine. And there's, this book is giant. It's giant and it's got so much doctrine in it and it is a lifetime pursuit. So I would encourage you to read the Bible to get into Bible studies, to go to church, and to continue to do that. Because the only person that's going to be harmed when you, when things get back to normal and you start going out on your boat on Sunday morning is you. The Lord isn't going to be harmed by that at all. Nobody else is. It's only you. You are the one that will have to stand before the Lord and explain why you didn't feel it was important to learn our connection to him, this book of doctrine, okay? And, you know, it. if people... And I'm talking about the people that have attended this Bible study all along. If people are here and they have this crisis in their lives, I guarantee you that they are not in the same condition that those other people were because they've already been pursuing the Lord the whole time. I don't see any worry among the people here. I don't see any, you know, pulling of their face or, you know, what am I going to do tomorrow? I don't see that. And I don't see it from a lot of people that attend the Bible studies. In fact, I'll see them posting on Facebook the same thing they're posting today that they were posting three or four weeks ago or even two months ago There's no change in their lives at all. There's no change They have been solid they have been grounded in Christ And that is what needs to happen to the people that are starting to pick up their Bible now They need to continue that and they need to continue to praise the Lord through every trial and through every storm And it's not going to happen if this crisis goes away. It may not it may last until the tribulation period starts But if it does go away and things get back to normal the only one that has to make the decision about their doctrine is the person that's involved in the skin in which they possess okay that is it only you can make that choice so that is my appeal to you today is that you will stick to this word and continue to stick to it always all right life application from a biblical perspective it is not enough to simply get people saved and on the path to heaven, but to mold them into purity as they continue on that path. Doctrine matters, and its application matters as well. Let us consider where we will spend our time. Will it be in God's Word or in Pulp Fiction? Or I'll even add into that, will it be in God's Word or will it be watching prophecy updates, which actually have nothing to do with God's Word? They may be in a church, they may be by a person that's going to preach a sermon in another 30 minutes, but ultimately all it does is talk about things in a speculative manner about what may or may not happen, or how it does pertain to the Bible, but it's not the Bible. It's just something that's happening in the world, okay? Don't watch 400 Prophecy Updates. I would suggest that if you do watch Prophecy Updates, you choose no more than three a week and watch as many sermons, if not more okay that is my appeal to you as well because prophecy updates will edify nobody one week after they're given something new comes along and all it is is ear tickling this word of god has not changed and it never will change it is as relevant today as it was when paul wrote these words 2,000 years ago please stay in the word of god okay let us consider where we spend our time will it be in god's word or in pulp fiction will we go to a church that excludes doctrine in order to please or to a church that holds the word of God in the highest esteem. It all matters, and it bears on what our presentation to Christ will be like. Are you going to be the coattails of the, the bride of Christ's uh, dress, or are you going to be up at the very top in the flowered adornments on her head? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to give you a, an image to think of, because you're going to be there if you're a saved Christian. Where are you going to be? Okay. 11-3. we?
1: Rabbit
0: trail, a rabbit trail, please. Luke
1: chapter one.
0: Luke chapter one,
1: verse uh, twenty-seven.
0: Okay, Luke chapter. I don't want to talk about that verse today. That's not a verse that's appropriate for this. I'm kidding. I have no idea what it says. Anyway, um, Luke twenty-one, one twenty-seven. Luke one twenty-seven.
1: Does engaged mean betrothed?
0: Okay, to a virgin betrothed to a man.
1: Yeah, it basically means the same thing.
0: Betrothed is uh they would this woman would be legally his at that time when they are betrothed in israel legally she now is his. and you'll remember if i tell you this you'll remember this from the sermon in numbers where a person uh made a vow remember a woman could make a vow and the husband could override it and then the wording changed it was very hard to see what was going on but it was very specific is that if that woman who is now legally belonging to that man. They're not married yet, but she legally belongs to him through the betrothal, okay? If she makes a vow, he can override that vow. Because if not, then when they get married, he's obligated to that. If he hears it and she makes a vow, he hears it and he says nothing, then after they're married, he is obligated to whatever that vow said. That's how legally binding this betrothal was, okay? So it gave different categories. If a man makes a vow, it stands, What he utters, he must do. That is the law, okay? If a woman makes a vow and her father hears it and she's in her father's care, then it stands. If a woman who is betrothed makes a vow and he hears it, then it stands. Or if he hears it and annuls it, then it doesn't stand, et cetera, okay? But there is another one, that if a woman makes a vow and it's binding upon her and then her husband dies or... And she goes back to her father's house. I I, I may get this wrong, but I, you have to watch the sermon to get all the details. But uh, she is no longer under her husband's care. She is still bound to that vow forever. Okay, I, 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 I'm going to get it wrong, and I don't want it sin by giving you wrong doctrine. But go back and watch that particular sermon. It's in the book of Numbers, uh, oh, probably around chapter 6 through 10 or something. I don't know, anyway, um, but it's a marvelous marvelous passage and how that points to Christ towards the end of that sermon is astonishing. It It, it is literally marvelous. Let me see if I can find that passage.
1: So that engage is betrothal. Yes,
0: engagement is betrothal, but engagement to us is a little different because that woman can...
1: Yeah, you read over here, I betrothed you to one person.
0: Oh, that's right, and Paul, I make that point in there. I make that point in that sermon about the verse that we just read. Okay. That That is it. You belong to him, and that is an absolute assurance of salvation 100 percent. there is no way that you can lose your salvation and people do not understand that that is actually prefigured in the law is that what you were getting at well
1: yeah. you were saying that this betrothal is the only temple it was mentioned though right in the new testament right but, but that's what i was asking this engaged. i think the king oh james well, i'm
0: talking james about says, doctrine i'm talking about yeah, it, I, it's i
1: think the king james says betrothed.
0: it may betrothed. i don't know this this is new king james and it does say betrothed. but oh it does yeah it yeah. says betrothed it's there but i'm talking. i'm talking about the doctrine part of it yes no. okay that he is talking about this 100% but what a picture of the church and christ right there from the old testament i'm glad you brought that up let's see if we can find really i don't want to spend all day on it you got us in the rabbit trail though so it's your fault and i'm going to see if i can find it um unfortunately this particular one here says uh and i i'm pretty sure it's in numbers but it may also be in uh, uh leviticus you know it, we went through uh numbers way too quickly and so it may have been back in the uh, leviticus but i'm not going to look for it I, I can't find it right now and uh i'm i know it's in there somewhere but i could find it by going to the uh what do you call it, that thing right there, Um, uh, the iPad, let me, oops, it is numbers, numbers. let me see, I'm going to pull out my iPad, and just, I want people to be interested in this enough to go and get that sermon off of the, uh, off of the internet and listen to it, because it really is marvelous, and it pertains to what we're talking about right now, so hang on one second, we've got um, uh, B-I-B-L-E, oops, caps lock, I hate that when that happens, That's what you call Charlie Fat Fingers. Okay, give me just one sec. This won't take long now. Oh boy, I don't want that. Okay, we're gonna go to um, new. There we go. Okay, we're gonna hit that, and then it says. Chapter
1: thirty.
0: Okay, chapter Numbers. There's twenty-one, and then let me see here. Numbers chapter thirty. Yeah, there it is. Thank you. Numbers thirty. Law concerning vows. Go watch that particular set of sermons from Numbers thirty. And I know that it will bless you. I know that you will. If you haven't seen those and you want to understand, if you deny the doctrine of eternal salvation, you see that, you won't deny it anymore because God is showing us things from the old covenant that are relevant to the new covenant. It is a marvelous, marvelous passage. Anyway, okay, let's go on and uh, see here. We got Ephesians chapter five, um, biblical perspective. Did I read that 525 through 27? Yes, Um, uh, I did read that too. Where are we? Where are we right now? We're in 11.3, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, so I did read that. Okay, 11.3. You got me on that rabbit trail, and I got lost, so thank you. Um, But I fear, verse 3, this is 11.3, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Following Paul's words to the Corinthians, that he had betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, come almost anguished words. He begins with, but I fear. It is a future fear, meaning that what he is afraid of has not happened yet, but it looks like things are heading in that direction. The words lest somehow give the idea that any possible means would be used to affect what Paul worries might come about. It may be a direct attack or it may be a subtle flanking maneuver or by some other means. However, what he is fearful about could come to pass, and the fear is that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted. This is Paul's this is Paul's only direct allusion to the story of the serpent in Eden. It comes from Genesis chapter three, and he undoubtedly understood the serpent. To be the devil, just as John so poignantly reveals in his writings. There in the garden, the serpent deceived Eve. She was prepared as a bride for Adam, and yet she was corrupted through the devil's guile. The analogy then is that the church is prepared as a bride for Christ, the last Adam. That's 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five. the last Adam. Christ. Adam is the first Adam. Christ is called the last Adam. But just as Eve was corrupted by the serpent, So the church could be corrupted, as he says, from the simplicity that is in Christ. Adam and Eve were given one command, and yet through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, they were drawn away into disobedience. In Christ, we have also been given a means of remaining faithful, which is simplicity itself. We are to believe the gospel. We are, in fact, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. However, that simple message is so easily corrupted through the same three pressure points. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Any of these or a combination of them will draw us away from the truth. Paul will continue to explain this in the verses ahead. He also explains it in a myriad of ways in his other letters. We are not to add to the gospel in any way. Instead, we are to understand that salvation is by grace through faith. How easily our minds can be corrupted from this message, though. Faith becomes a stumbling block because it is way too easy. And so we add in works, we add in precepts, we add in a false Jesus, whatever. The devil deceives us and pulls us away from Christ Jesus, misdirecting us to a false gospel, which is no gospel at all. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 1. is. Well, let's go there just so you know what I'm citing. Galatians One, it says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Okay, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed accursed okay there you go it's not another it's no gospel at all okay let's see here um life application how silly we are to add to what being a true christian is some say that if we don't support the nation of israel we are false christians i see that all the time people say that oh if you don't support israel you're a false christian well you might not have very good doctrine but that has nothing to do with salvation it has this much to do with salvation Everybody got that. I don't support Israel. Well, then you're not a true Christian. ridiculous, okay that may be a, that may be a point of sound doctrine, but it is not a point of salvation. Some say that we must observe the Sabbath or we're false Christians. That is reintroducing the law which was fulfilled in Christ, thus it sets aside the work of Christ. Whatever someone adds to the gospel, reject it. We are saved by grace through faith in the completed work of Christ. Period. There is nothing else that can save you, and there is nothing else that can be added to that or subtracted from it. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. That's the gospel. That is it. There is nothing we can add to that. If you believe that by faith, which is accepting the gospel, you are saved. There's nothing that needs to be added to that, like baptism or any of the other things that I just mentioned. But people love to put every pet peeve that they have out on the table and they say, see, you haven't done this and you haven't done this and you haven't done this. Grace. God's grace. You can't merit grace. It's unmerited favor. That's what grace is. If you have to do something to receive grace, then it is not grace. Eleven four. Amen. Amen. He's very good, that guy that just said that back there he's a he's a hard guy to get along with, but he's very good at understanding grace. He's in the projects all the time with us, and he is very, very precise about how he says his prayers he says just the most basic thing so that people can get it every single time. I was kidding about being a hard guy to get along with he's actually a good guy to get along with but uh anyway um uh i sometimes I pick on people I don't know if they know if I'm picking I'm sure he does though, but the people online may not anyway um uh, verse four, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it, which is what the Galatians actually did all right eleven four for if he is singular, it is speaking of any individual who would come and proclaim a false Jesus. This gives illumination to Paul's words of Galatians 1, 6 through 8, which I just read you, I'm not going to read you again, but it's if anybody comes to you with a false gospel, you you know, whatever, okay? A false Jesus is one not presented by the apostles. And the message of a false Jesus diverts from the truth of what God did in Christ. Even by this early date, there were countless heresies already springing up. Throughout the epistles, the truth of Christ is given to counter these falsities. With the Bible complete, we have the true and only source for doctrine concerning Christ. I had a talk with one of my friends today about that. He's came out of a Pentecostal background, and he believes that, you know, there may be another word coming from the Lord. He's not sure anymore, but I in no way, in no way will ever admit that I believe that another word comes through a pastor or a preacher or a prophet today. None. If you believe that, you're entitled to that belief. You can believe whatever you want. But my question to him was, is this not sufficient? Is this book not sufficient? Is there something that is lacking in this word that we need to have a preacher tell us? And I'm talking about a new revelation. I'm not talking about having explained. I'm talking about a new revelation that is not included in here. The answer to me is very clear. That is no. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay? We live by faith and not by sight if somebody is receiving messages from god then he doesn't need faith because he's receiving messages from god okay believe whatever you want in that particular issue but i am not ever going to change my belief in that the word is explicit and i need to stand by it okay if people have heard a word from the lord it is not something that is added to the bible You know, I I think the Lord talked to me last night about marrying this woman. Whatever. That's between you and the Lord. But it adds nothing to the message of this word. Zero. Okay? That's just Charlie Garrett 101. All right, so... um,
1: Is it Revelation that says don't add to it? Don't add to
0: the word. And if we've got this word, why would we need to add to it? That's absolutely right. Don't add to it. Okay? Anyway, um, uh, we'll go back and read that again. With the Bible complete, we have the true and only source for... Doctrine concerning Christ. Any other, according to Paul, is another Jesus whom we have not preached. There is orthodoxy, and then there is heresy. Doctrine matters. Continuing on, he writes, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received. This is a separate thought from the one who preaches a false Jesus. It is speaking of a false inspiration. An example of such a false spirit is given in 1 John chapter 4. Let me take you there really quickly. And it says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 2 well I'll take you to verse 1 beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world, okay? The spirit of the Antichrist, there's a difference between a false Christ and an Antichrist, and I'll talk about that. We're going through one, John, right now in the daily commentaries. But Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist, the Antichrist, and the people that are Antichrist, okay? He kind of changes the words around. They all mean the same thing. It is one thing, and one thing in particular, Jesus Christ coming in the flesh being the son of the father in other words it is the deity of jesus christ that is being referred to a denial of the deity of jesus christ such as the jehovah's witnesses do is antichrist it is not simply false christ it is antichrist okay the father son he says if you do not have the son you do not have the father he's implying and it's as explicit as it can be without exactly saying it that jesus christ is god And because Jesus Christ is God, you cannot have the Father unless you have the Son, okay? It's so clear that I I don't know how people can get there and come up with Jesus Christ isn't God. But the whole world is full of these things. And so that is Antichrist. And it's not just speaking of people that claim to be Christians. It's anybody. It's anybody. The Muslims deny that God has taken unto himself a partner, meaning the sin of shirk, okay? A partner specifically meaning Jesus, okay? God has a son, and he is fully God, and his name is Jesus Christ. If you divert from that, that is antichrist, okay? We don't need to go any further with that. There are all kinds of other things you could imply might be antichrist, but John doesn't, and he's the only one that speaks in that terminology, so I'm gonna leave it right there. Christian circles are literally filled to the brim with false spirits of inspiration, citing John 4, which I just read. People claim all kinds of revelations from God, which are untrue. I'm going to speak about one in the Prophecy Update on Sunday, unless it gets preempted by something else, because every week, you know, usually I can have a Prophecy Update kind of done by Tuesday, and then I just modify it throughout the week. And now with this coronavirus, I have to modify things every 15 minutes. I mean, I've never spent so much time doing a Prophecy Update as I have in the past three weeks. But whatever, Um, people claim all kinds of revelations from God. They are untrue. The Bible is written, and further revelation would only confuse. It would not help the message. And further, who is to say that it is true, and who is to say that it isn't true? You see the logic there? Anybody can say anything, and if he says it, and then next week he says something that is untrue, how do you know? I'm telling you, the Bible is it. That is all that we can expect from God. That is it, okay? Okay. The Bible is written further revelation would only confuse not help the message such claims should be rejected right away lest a false seed of uh, a seed a false teaching turn it into a field okay you take one seed and you throw it out there and pretty soon it it grows and it puts off those little spores and they start flying around then you have more and you and pretty soon you got a whole field full of false teachings you've got to be careful with that then these two first clauses another Jesus denies the identity of Christ, whereas a different spirit denies any similarity in nature. It is of the utmost importance that both are held to in matters concerning Christ. I'll read it again. In the first two clauses, another Jesus denies the identity of Christ, whereas a different spirit denies any similarity in nature. Either way you go, from Christ or, you know, um, uh, Christ's true identity. It doesn't matter. Whichever way you go, it is wrong. Paul's words are poignant and direct, but he has yet more for us to consider. Not only are there false presentations of Jesus and false claims of inspiration, but there is also a different gospel. The Corinthians had accepted Paul's words, but along comes another gospel, which they had not accepted, and yet Paul was concerned that they may well put up with it. That's his words. There is one gospel which Paul consistently presents. We are saved by grace, through faith, no works added. And yet, at every turn, people reimpose works of the law or add in externals, claiming that they are necessary in order to be saved. The gospel is a total and complete reliance on the work of Jesus Christ in fulfilling the law for us. That is it. In him, it is finished. Let us not attempt to tarnish his marvelous work through a different gospel which is no gospel at all because that's what we do anytime we say well, you need to be baptized in order to be saved you need to attend the church of christ in order to be saved you need to do this or you need to you got to observe the sabbath or you whatever you add your pet peeve or whether it's your poor doctrine whatever you add to say that you need to do this in order to be saved you have tarnished you have marred you have de-glorified jesus christ in somebody's eyes that's all there is to it. What he did is of the supreme importance for humankind. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. He did it all. What can we add to it except receive it by faith? I talked to a guy yesterday. Oh, we're out back at the mall and he's not working at the time. And so I had time to witness to him. And I talked to him for about 15 minutes and I got to the end and I said, it's your choice. You can receive Jesus or not. I, you know. And he says, well, I already did that. I said, well, then why did you just have me talk to you for 15 minutes and he said because i wanted to hear what you had to say and he says i learned some great things and i said oh well i guess it was worth my while then but you know i just i was like we could have sat down and had a bible study instead of me just trying to preach to you and appeal to you and you know but i'm glad i did at least i know that he's saved but he's just you know a guy that i see from time to time and oh i don't know i had other another guy do that to me once too it was at the mall too same thing i talked to him for about 10 minutes and he shook his head and i said well, you know so i want you to know you should receive christ and he will save you of all of your sins he says i've done that years ago i attend the baptist church out on bee ridge or whatever and i'm like oh well, why'd you do that and he said well, i just wanted to hear what you had to say so it was the same thing whatever okay um further let us never, I just mentioned a different gospel, okay, which is no gospel at all, further. Let us never even consider putting up with it. In his final words of the verse, the adverb translated as well is emphatic. Paul's words drip with irony. They were willing to follow a false gospel, but they were resistant to continue in the message with they, which they had heard first and received from him. It shows a confusion of the mind and a sense of self pride that had replaced a total dependence on Christ, which is where we go with our <clears> theology, isn't that right? We get into a church and we're saved by grace. We somebody witnesses to us on the street, and then we go to a church, and all of a sudden we listen to the pastor and we start saying, "Well, I need to do this and that," and we forget this simple gospel, and we start adding in these things, and we start getting prideful in ourselves. Well, yeah, I got baptized, and so, or I observe the Sabbath. You know, I I don't work on the Sabbath, or whatever it is that you think that you're you're making yourself more holy through it's not making you more holy at all it's an offense to god all right if you do those things that the bible tells you to do then you do well but there's nothing added to what christ did it's your responsibility now that you have come to christ to do those things okay so instead they were ready to accept a false christ whose works were incomplete a false spirit which was sensational and exciting to listen to and a false gospel which says, I have helped out in my own salvation. Once again, it always comes back to me. It always comes back to the I problem. I've got an I problem today. Life application. Let us learn the lesson of Paul's words here and hold fast to the truth of the person of Jesus Christ, the reliability and surety of God's word as our source of inspiration And the sound and reasonable gospel, which says that Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, has done it all for us. His work is a gift from God, and let us not taint the gift in any way. 11.5 For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. This verse from Paul almost exudes anger at having to defend his apostleship to those whom he introduced to Christ. In Galatians 1, he had been given the right hand of fellowship by James, Cephas, and John, the chief apostles at Jerusalem. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul had actually rebuked him for straying from the truth of the gospel. Think of that. Peter, the one that spent all the time with Jesus through his whole ministry, Paul had to openly rebuke. Okay, that shows you how easy it is for us to fall away. God gave us these. I was talking to a guy uh, this past week. He's got something that is wrong with him. Okay, and he wants it corrected. And he brought up Paul's affliction in the flesh. And he said, well, Paul had an affliction in the flesh. And I said, do you know why we don't know what that affliction is? And I'll talk about it. I'll explain what I think it is. But why did God not allow Paul to say in his word what that affliction was? Anybody?
1: We all have afflictions.
0: We all have afflictions. And if he said that, then you could say, well, I don't have that. I must not be that bad. We all have afflictions. Every one of us and so by not knowing what Paul's affliction was, it shows us that we all have the same problem. We're all having weaknesses, we're all having things that weigh us down and that afflict us and that burden us and that are contrary to what we should be doing. All of us, okay? And that Paul was showing us that by writing it the way he did, okay? So, he rebuked Peter showing how absolutely ingrained in in us it is to fall away from the simple message. He rebuked him, okay? In Acts 15, Paul was granted full support for his ministry by the Council at Jerusalem, both in writing and accompanied witnesses to travel with him. His apostleship was fully attested to, and yet it was being challenged by the most eminent apostles, he says. Here he's not speaking of the true apostles, but those who claimed to be apostles, but were false. He speaks of them again in verse 13, describing them in a most negative light. The word he uses, which is translated here as most eminent apostles, is unique and strange. One scholar translates this as extra super apostles to show the almost laughable way that Paul viewed them. His words show the the depth of his emotion over this matter. Those in Corinth had compared his true apostleship to that of a false one, And they had found the false one more appealing. Of course they did, because anything that's false is always appealing. That's the lesson from Genesis chapter 3. There's something false in front of me. It's more appealing because it's the easy route, okay? It's easier to go into a Pentecostal church and roll around on the floor and make a lot of sounds and say the rest of the week, see how holy I am, than it is to sit in a church and to learn and to study Because study is hard, listening to sermons that are doctrinally based is hard, it's mentally challenging, and you know, don't go home sometimes feeling uplifted. You go home feeling tired because you had so much poured at you. But you are being increased in the knowledge of the Word of God when you attend a church, wherever it is, that is opening the Word and properly explaining it. And that is where the value is, not rolling around on the ground, okay? That's never, ever going to help you in theology, ever, okay? So, His words show the depth of his emotion over this matter. Those in Corinth had compared his true apostleship to that of a false one, and they had found the false one more appealing. For him to have to say, I consider that I am not at all inferior, his words to them, was obviously something deeply hurtful. Life application, having sound doctrine, is obviously important. If Paul had to face challenges to his apostolic authority because others were coming and polluting the simplicity of the gospel, how much more should we be careful and attentive to this now that we have the entire Bible to learn and apply? Do we suppose that we can have a right relationship with the Lord apart from the very word that he has given? Watch out for false teachings that come as people twist and manipulate the word for their own vile purposes. 11
1: uh, uh, here. Yes. The pastor was coming down the pike on that. Is anybody here not sinning? It doesn't have afflictions. One guy in the back he said, would you stand up and tell us about that? Well, it's not me. It's my wife's first husband.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know if you heard what he said. He's kind of in the back there, but uh, uh the guy uh does anybody here have no problem with sinning and somebody in the back of the congregation raised his hand and he said why don't you tell us about it?" and he says oh no it's not me it's my wife's first husband he was perfect <laughs> i don't know why i married this guy that was pretty funny Burke." okay let's see here uh verse eleven six. i don't know how you remember jokes i i can remember one joke in this whole world i can only remember one joke i i, I have my brother he has got a memory for every joke he's ever heard in his life. I can remember one joke. I okay. You
1: should apply the fact that you scripture so well to do that with jokes.
0: Well, that would, I guess, but you either get one or the other. That's all. You only get one or the other. Okay, six. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Before I even get my comments, how was Paul trained in knowledge? No, he was in the desert with christ but guess what i i will even take you back further now he dismisses his position as a pharisee yeah. but as a pharisee he had to know the body of scripture yeah. better than anybody else he was well trained in old testament theology so that when he was presented by christ the new testament theology there in arabia or wherever else he developed his theology i'm telling you what he was able to look at the old and say i see what is in the new. That's why Paul was chosen, is because all the other people that Jesus chose as apostles were not trained in theology. They were Jews, they understood the feasts, they understood the things that were going on, but they were not trained in theology. Paul was. He may not have been trained in speech, and he admits, here he admits it, uh, I think it was last chapter as well, like Moses, he had a speech impediment to some extent. He wasn't, you know, verbose or whatever, but he was trained in theology and when christ presented to him all of the things that he represents in the old he, his mind must have been just amazed he must have just been amazed and look at as i said last week with just a few pages of paul's epistles i mean there's not much in the whole bible but it's just it's a, a, an unfolding of the mind of god through paul's hand it is astonishing the amount of wisdom that comes in these epistles of paul but anyway, all
1: these apostles were just ordinary men. Ordinary men, that's right. He was a Pharisee.
0: He was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin and a Jew of Jews and a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he went on and on. And he says, And that's all rubbish. I count it all rubbish for the cause of Christ. He did.
1: He had passion. Not many the wise, these are chosen, not That's
0: right, not many, but some were. That's true. It doesn't mean that no wise were, but some were. That's right. Okay, 11.6. In the previous verse, he said that he was not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. This was not a jab, or I'm sorry, this was a jab at those false apostles, not the real ones. From this verse, we can deduce that they were those who came and spoke with great eloquence. On the contrary, Paul admits that he is untrained in speech. The word for untrained is idiotes. Anybody? Yeah, idiot. All right. Actually, it's idiotes. It's a, it's a, it's an omega there. Idiotes. It is a word which has morphed into our own language as idiot. However, at the time, and according to Helps' Word Studies, it means properly of one's own self used of a person who conspicuously lacks education or status, and hence easily misunderstood as being uninstructed, unrefined, unlettered in speech. That's helps word studies. Paul admits that his speech is lacking the grace of those who came to woo the Corinthians away from him. He was born and raised in Tarsus, and it may be that the Greek he learned was less refined than it could have been. He had Like you do in any language, you've got very proper English and you've got poor English, you know. You've got uh, uh, high Greek and you've got uh, high German and you've got low German. You've got all the different, and he was probably trained in a poorer Greek than other people, all right. Or it could have been that he simply lacked eloquence through a stutter or a slow mental process like Charlie Garrett, which was one more concerned about precision than oration. Whatever the reason, he notes that though this may be the case with his speech— Yet I am not in knowledge. Paul was well trained in the law, having studied under Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees and had all of the knowledge of the law to be considered the most schooled of Jews. Further, he had personal revelation from Jesus Christ, as Burke said, concerning the church and the calling of the Gentiles. In no way was his knowledge lacking. It is a point which was of far more value than a highly eloquent and polished Hung. From this verse, we can see that these false apostles were of the same breed as those who stood and listened to Peter and John speak in Acts chapter 4. I just put down the Bible thinking I wouldn't need it again, and then I've got to go to Acts chapter 4. Let me take there really quickly. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled they realized that they had been with jesus what what was it you said i said you get
1: to go there.
0: oh i get to go to the bible thank you yes i get to it's an honor history is born this assessment of paul out studying his writings seems to show that his greek was less cultured than one might expect of such a great mind as albert barnes notes he says critics profoundly acquainted with the greek language remark that while there is great energy of thought and diction in the writings of Paul, while he chooses or coins most expressive words, yet that there is everywhere a lack of attic elegance of manner and of the smoothness and beauty which was so graceful to the Grecian ear. So you can see somebody that is very able and capable of giving you instruction, knowledge, and wisdom, and even developing new words. Paul coined several words that are not found anywhere else in the Koine greek and yet out of all of that his greek itself is kind of lacking it would be like somebody writing and you know not using a lot of superlatives and a lot of metaphors and synonyms and stuff and so you can just see that he's he's on one side very intelligent and then two he's just not well trained in the greek
1: maybe he, maybe he visited with apollos he, he might have visited with apollos he, he that's right
0: <laughs> that's right regardless of this lack of smoothness and beauty it is the substance behind his words which truly matters. With this, with his great knowledge, he notes that we have been thoroughly manifest among you in all things. Those in Corinth had received Christ through him and his fellow apostles. They had received training in Christ. After that, the questions which had been raised had been fully answered in all ways. The effort and work of Paul was made manifest to the fullest measure in them. The humble tent maker. Sewed more into his disciples than he did into linen or leather. Life application: A lack of eloquence does not necessarily mean a lack of knowledge. In fact, one who has precision of thought may actually lack smooth speech, being more concerned about being correct than being graceful to the ear. There you go. I just got to
1: a, tell you this about Erwin Lutzer. Yes. Today he said he just been to a conference. And the, the theme was humility. You know, and all this was taught on him. And he said, we came out, a hundred of us, to get our ride back to the hotel. And there were six vans. He says, here we are. We're supposed to be humble. But all of us rushed for the van. Oh, yeah. You know, not you first.
0: Yeah, no, got to get and, in and the van first.
1: I was among those, you know. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's what happens. We, we let our guard down and we yeah. become... We can become selfish beings very quickly. (laughs) There we go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the uh, lessons that Paul keeps revealing to us again and again. He just keeps going back to the fact that we need to submit ourselves to Christ. We need to not be misled by false teachers or people that have sensational things to say which don't value us in any way at all, but which will ultimately diminish what you have done for us. In one way or another, we need to keep ourselves away from sensation. We need to keep ourselves away from speculation. We need to stick to the word and we need to get into the word, read it, cherish it, think on it, contemplate it, meditate on it, and just love it as our own mind, as the most precious thing that we can have because it is that word which tells us of you and of your intentions for us and the fact that you are coming again to take us to you and that we will be with you for all eternity. What value is it to be in this world right now and to not get into your word I can't even think of anything more damaging than that, especially for people that have said, I'm a Christian. So help us to be faithful and uh, receptive to this precious word that you have given us. We love you. We praise you. We exalt you. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Okay, let
0: me put that on break.